thank you for being here. Um, I don't know that that's the uh, most compelling way to have a worship service, to say we're going to have a service of repentance. And uh, so I had uh, fears of, you know, five or six of you coming, um, having not read what uh, we were going to do um, today. So uh, thanks that you still came. Um, and, uh, you know, it is interesting, though, when you think about repentance, you know, and does... Why is it that repentance has such a negative connotation for, for most people? You know, that when in actuality, being a Christian means we're a people of repentance. Um, what we're going to look at in the book of Revelation is that every time Jesus spoke to one of the different churches that he was speaking to, and that one of his words in there was repent, change, change your direction. I mean, as a Christian um, who believes God is smart and wise and good and that we aren't, then repentance is really good because it means we who aren't wise, who aren't good, are listening to the one who is good and who is wise and that we are changing our direction. It's a really good word. Um, so that we are going in the right direction. You know, we, we want to be told that we're going in the wrong way. Right? Yeah, so, so sometimes it, it can be jolting to be told uh, that we're going the wrong way. Um, there are times uh, when I'm driving and there's someone in the car with me um, who is, can be good at Passenger seat driving. And uh, as we might be driving along, remember one time going along on the interstate, you know, 70 miles an hour or so, just tooling along. And as we're going just next to me, all of a sudden, watch out. You know, this gasp and this cry to then within me becomes, what? What is it? You know, and I get hyper observant, looking around, grabbing the wheel and seeing a car starting to swerve into my lane, put on the brakes, swerve to the right as we're screaming and then... 2.7 2.7 seconds later, you know, everybody's back in their lane. And when the heartbeat slows down to a little bit less than 120 a minute, and all the chemicals that were quickly rushing to my brain and body subside, in my best moments, and I'll only tell you this story in my best moments, I turn and say, wow, thank you. Because uh, we were headed for destruction. And in that moment of repentance, we avoided destruction and experienced life. A fullness of life in that 2.7 seconds. But we're thankful, even eager for repentance. And that, that's what uh, John tells the church in Laodicea, or really what the, the Spirit of God tells the church in Laodicea in the end uh, of chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. He said, be eager and repent. Because God only disciplines the ones that He loves. And He disciplines for what is good and what leads to life. So, um, Revelation chapter 3, starting with verse 14, it's on your screen or on found on page 1030 um, in your pew Bible. Let's hear um, the word of the Lord. 
And oh, one one thing. What's what's happening here is the this verse, chapter two and three of Revelation are particular words to seven different churches that are in the geographical area um, around Jerusalem um, in that day, and they're particular words for particular churches. And uh, I chose the last one um, for us for. Um, uh, just because of its uniqueness of how it really connects with Laodicea and then applies to churches like us and throughout um, the world then and uh, across the ages. So um, this is to the church in Laodicea, uh, chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me Gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone... Hears my voice and opens the door. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, so a, a couple things from this uh, this passage that I want us to see. One is just how specific it is. How, how um, God is, is talking to Laodicea, particularly in their unique spot. Um, the first words that he says to him, I know your works. This is the, the first, this is the best word when it comes to our relationship with God. That God tells you and he tells me, he tells us as a church, he tells every church, and it, I know what you're doing. I know what you're thinking. I know what you have done and what you haven't done. I know it all. So stop trying to play games with me. Stop trying to hide it. Stop getting defensive. Stop stop trying to hem and haw. Man, just be real with me because I'm real with you. And the most foolish thing that any human being can do is try to hide from God. I mean, I can... Try to hide from others. I can try to hide from my family. I can try to hide from the police and the CIA and even nosy neighbors. And I might get away with it. There's a possibility. But there is absolutely no way that I can hide from God. There's no way for me to fool God. Matter of fact, I'm the fool when I try to play games with God. Who knows me better than I know myself. And, and what I do know is that everything, all that I am, all that I think, all that I do, will one day be made known. 
So when, when I'm before him after I die. So let me go ahead and get it done now. So that that day will be a real celebration of God's transformative work in me and in you and in us. Whether we want it to be known now or then, it's going to be known. So hiding or playing games or ignoring it or deflecting it or staying busy with other stuff so we can avoid it is foolish. Because God knows our works just like he knew the works at Laodicea. And notice here just how local this application is. And the, the, the illustrations, the metaphors that he used. He didn't just pick those out of the air. All of those are pointed to Laodicea. In, in Laodicea, it was uh, the, both the, well, the water supply. He's relating to that. He's relating to some of the, the commerce in the area, both medicine and fashion. And, and therefore, the abundance of riches in that place. It would be like if he wanted to make metaphors. I tried this for a little bit and said, no, I'm going to give up on trying to make a metaphor with chili and the Bengals. I uh, just gave up trying to figure. But that would be what he would say, where we would know exactly what he was talking about. But in a thousand years, some people would say, why is he talking about chili and tigers you know, in this to the church in Cincinnati? Um, but so what he's because uh, um, what what he's, he's saying here about the water supply, that part about um, drinking water and, uh, you know, it's warm, you spit it out of your mouth. Well, that's what was the case in Laodicea. They, they had no local water supply. Um, so therefore, the water had to be brought in by aqueducts above ground piping kind of stuff. And so the water that was then delivered there was lukewarm. It wasn't useful, really, in its initial place. It wasn't pleasing. You know, there, there were other cities around it. One would have had a lake near there. It had deep water, so the water would be cold and refreshing. Um, there was another uh, city in that general area that had warm springs. And so the water would come out hot and warm. And it was pleasing in that way and useful. So, But it wasn't in Laodicea. So he's not. Sometimes people read that and think... Oh, so what he's saying is he either wants you all for Jesus or all against him. You you read when I first read this, what I thought, okay, hot or cold, hot being good. You're on fire for Jesus, cold, meaning you're just the frozen chosen and you're no good for Jesus. That's not what he's saying at all. The hot water was good and the cold water was good. They were both refreshing and pleasing. And he's saying, I want you to be pleasing to me, not lukewarm like the water that you have in your city. So I spit you out. It was also a, a place that was um, where they were focused on uh, fashion because they had a unique black wool that, that was theirs. It was beautiful and, and known and, and for fashion and for clothing. So that's why he speaks about garments um, in here. There also had a medical center, actually, that had this um, uh, particular treatment for eyesight that had had um, usefulness and that had some success. So he's talking to them using that. And, and because of the benefit of these things, they were a very uh, self-sufficient community. So much so that uh, about 40 years before this was written, they had an earthquake in Laodicea. And they were able to rebuild their whole city without any help from any other community, without any help from Rome, you know, they didn't have to bring in any federal funds. They could do it totally 
for by, by themselves. So they're very self-sufficient. So in, in writing this, um, God's not saying that he's against fashion or warm water or medical help or even um, having riches and resources. What he's against is self-sufficiency. You don't need me. You, you think you don't need me. You, you think because you have what you need, you don't need me. And, and even Laodicea was so unique because it didn't really have a strong pagan presence that was an external force on the church. And those other cities in that day would have strong pagan or Jewish presences who would oppress the church and, and imprison. They, they didn't have that. And Laodicea didn't, they didn't have internal problems. See, there's no heresy there. Whereas in other cities, if you read through this, there would be heresies. There would be groups within them that were teaching false things. So there was something there where, that, where the, the church and other cities was on edge. And that being on edge caused those churches to rely upon God. And so that's why in, in this, um, that uh, Jesus is, is telling the church in Laodicea, you think you're well-dressed, but really you're naked. You think you can see, but really you're blind. You think you're rich, but really you're poor. And his point is, what you, you need to find your sight, your clothing, your riches in me, in Jesus. I mean, notice in, in the passage, all the eyes in verse 17. You know, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. He's like, no, no, you you can't do it yourself. You must depend upon me. Don't just coast through being the church of Jesus Christ. Don't just sort of float on through depending upon yourself. And, you know, as uh, we are a part of this transformation consultation, what I'm really thankful for, for really thankful and call out the the session in that uh, for for a couple years they have been saying they they've been pressured by the external pressure of being a church whose numbers continue to go down that for 25 years our our numbers have gone down for 25 years really uh, the 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 amount of, of baptisms that we do is has stayed you know less than 5 a year and say what do what do we do what what is our our charge here and and they have been pursuing god asking god what we we li- it's it's beyond our what we know what to do and say, so how can we do this? And, and part of their, uh, their plan was to uh, then pursue um, a consultant, uh, Paul Borden, who came in um, uh, in September, that transformation consultation, who gave us prescriptions. And what I want, one of the things that was confirming of God's leading through, through all of this was a couple weeks ago, in the, in the middle, after the prescriptions, but before um, uh, we uh, the session decided we're not to do them or not, I was pulling some stuff out of the copy room, and out fell this big post-it note. I know, I know you can't read it. And one, because it's pretty small, and two, it's my writing, and so that that's never going to, to work. But I just wanted, and, and these were written two 
years ago. And what was amazing was when we read through this, we said, wow, these prescriptions address some of these head on and all of them indirectly. You know, one of the things of the, the prescription was a, a clear mission and vision. The number one thing mentioned here is a clear and specific vision. One of the, the things it mentioned was decline in membership, particularly of a, of a, a particular group, of a younger group in the congregation. It says we have very few 15 to 45-year-olds. Declining membership, as we've already mentioned. Uh, one of the prescriptions is around the governance of the church to, to form its government in a way that better adapts to the, it deal, the, the issues of our day and being able to make the changes necessary in a more timely manner. And one of the things here, governance of the church is not clear or effective. Uh, one of the um, things uh, that's mentioned is about evaluations and setting goals. And one of the things mentioned here, don't evaluate well. So one after another just lined up with what was said. And the the session said, looked at that and said, you know, we take that as a confirmation of God's leading us and our desire not to make the plan God, not to make our strategies, God, but to make God God and to pursue Him as we follow this plan. As my football coach used to say, you can't steer a parked car. And so you need to be moving. But in that movement, we don't just follow the plan. We're following the voice of God. Maybe that the plan says, here's point B, go to point B. Well, God has, well, I want you at plan G. But you got to go to B first. And then from B, you're going to hit C. Then you're going to come back to B. Then you're going to hit D. And eventually, you'll get to G. But it's about following and depending and trusting upon the very power of God. And as we move forward, then God will lead. And so the, the, and one of the challenges from us, from what we uh, said in our, uh, um, uh, session a couple of years ago, it was said in the prescriptions was the challenge for us as evangelism is inviting others to follow Jesus with us. And we got to confess and repent of that, that we don't invite others to follow Jesus. We're, we're not inviting Christians who don't have a, a church home to join us, nor are we engaging with those who don't yet know Jesus. I mean, we can be friendly with people. But are we actually inviting them to join on this mission to follow Jesus together? And no, we're not. And this is more than, when we realize that, that's more than increasing church attendance and church membership. That's more than that. That's about being faithful to the call of God on our lives. And when push comes to shove, if I had to pick between the two, I'm going to be faithful to the call of God. Before I'm faithful to increasing our membership. Now don't get me wrong. I want both. <laughs> but if I'm going to put it in priority. I'm going to put being faithful to the call of God. And that's what we repent of. 
We repent of not being a people who are engaged with Jesus and wanting to share Him with others and inviting others to, to follow along with us. And it's been interesting in a lot of the conversations that we've had in the last six weeks around the, the prescriptions from the consultation. Haven't had really anybody disagree with that one. Who said, no, that's wrong. We do evangelism really well. I haven't heard anybody um, say that. And, and I will say for me that that prescription has revealed to me my own sin, my own failure. That I've been too focused on the church. Too, too focused on, on keeping the, the peace and keeping us together. Which really means I'm too focused on personal security. And that limits me wanting to take chances or lead into places of risk. And this, this journey, God has taken this after I got over the initial shock of the passenger driver, of the, uh, the passenger driver speaking to me. That he's right. I mean, I want, I want, and I want us to be a people who are so excited about Jesus and his generosity and his love that we want to invite others. Yeah, and so I'm excited about the class that starts next Sunday that we're going to do in the middle hour. And we brought some folks in to help lead. It's in your uh, um, uh, Bell Tower News. we got um, uh, um, Brandon who leads a church plant in, here in Cincinnati. And we're their whole church, man, they are dependent upon God to bring more people. That's one of the great things about a church plant and what Brandon can share with us. And I'm excited about the Alpha engagement. There, there was a little bit when I heard that, I'm like, ah, oh, I've sort of been there, done that. But if you go and look at that, they have updated that material. It is, it is current. It, it is clear. It's going to be very helpful for us to, to go through that, to learn from that, and also then invite others to that as well. And because what we want to do is grow in inviting others to follow Jesus. We're not some aggressive, well, some of you may be aggressive door knockers, or you may even be like the guy I saw on Main Street last night. Nine o'clock on Main Street, downtown, and he's got his pole, he's got his Romans 3.23 for the wages of sin is death on his sign, and, and he's got his little speaker, and he's walking up and down Main Street, you know, sharing with people, God loves you, God, and he, I mean, he was a nice guy. Yeah, he, he was, he wasn't one of those turn or burn. You know what I mean there? You know, that, that kind of repent. He was just saying, God loves you. And uh, yeah, he has a, um, he, he wants you to know his forgiveness, that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I was with some people and they were saying, well, you know, at least he's not yelling at people. Which is sort of damning with faint praise, uh, in some ways. But then I, I jumped into, uh, there was a couple valets outside one of the restaurants. And I said, hey, so does, does this guy come uh, down here often? And they're like, no, this is the first time, and he's really bumming a lot of people out tonight. Uh, well, that's not really how I would hope we would share the love of Jesus that would be responded to by, oh, he's really bumming a lot of people out. So that's, that's not on our agenda. But how in our relationships that we have, in the relationships in our spheres of influence, do we simply invite people to come and follow Jesus with us? Now, as Jesus engages with us to repent, and say, yeah, we're sorry, we confess, transform us, 
Here's the, the great news. This, this, this passage goes on um, to, to say to them, listen, come to me. You, know, don't, you, you want sight? Let me give you sight. Let me give you clothing. Let, let me give you true riches that will never wear out. Sight that will see things that are eternal in a fashion that will eternally be in style. Come to me. And this passage in verse 20 is one that we often use for non-Christians. You know, where Jesus is saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Uh, that's true, he does for non-Christians, but this is for the church. This is in the context of a people of, of a people of God who are following Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, let me in. Let me into your life. After going through and telling them, uh, you're like lukewarm water, I'm going to spit you out. Now he's saying, hey, let me in. This is reconciliation. I want to eat with you. I want to live with you. I want to be in relationship with you, walking with you in life, leading you into the ways of truth. He's much more gentle in, in saying, hey, where you're headed is towards destruction. I want to lead you into the ways of life. So time of repentance is to say, God, Jesus, where have I boxed you out? Where am I not listening to you in my life? For us as a church around the ministry of evangelism, around the ministry of, of uh, connecting with folks who don't yet know Jesus. But there may be in each of one of us different ways that we've boxed him out. Maybe in this way, maybe in others. What is that way? Where is Jesus saying to you, hey, let me in? Because he goes on. Because if you let me in, then you, you, remember, you have joined with me at the cross. You have joined with me in the resurrection. You are a conqueror with me. Your victory is with me. Remember what Paul said in Colossians, that it's at the cross. Jesus defeated all principalities and powers. Remember at the end of Matthew, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and hell has been given to me. So I don't care what it is in your life and in our life that you say, this will never be overcome. No, it already has been overcome at the cross and the power of the resurrection. That is real in our lives and in our engagement with others. You might be saying evangelism, nobody wants to follow Jesus anymore. Nobody wants to talk to Jesus anymore. No, that's a lie. God is alive and at work. And His authority is still real in our lives. And we've forgotten that authority and that power that is alive in us. It's what God desires. In in our complacency at times. In our woe is me at times. We forget what He says here. No, hold on. Don't give up. You are a conqueror in me. You are victorious in me. Because in Him, we have joined with Him at the cross and at the power of the resurrection. See, the problem why we don't like repentance is we don't know how to end it. We end it in sorrow as Eeyore. Oh, woe is me. Okay, I confess. I'm sorry. Change me. But we don't come back to the very power of Jesus. We don't, we don't come back. So that's why as, as we move on through the service, we're going to have a litany. We're going to have a time of, of, uh, of just reflection. 
the um, choir is going to sing and we're going to reflect just for a moment. You know, what? what is it, God? What are you telling me? Maybe you're just confused. You know, you're like, God, I'm just confused. Help me. Or maybe God has zeroed in. You knew it before you came here. This is what I need to repent of. This is what needs to be changed in me. This is where I have to offer this up to you. I have to confess it, repent it, and let your power change the direction of my life. Where, wherever you are in that, I want to take this time as the, the to just reflect, journal, write down your questions or your thoughts. You've got space on your bulletin. Uh, you've got uh, um, uh, that you can just write that down for you to keep to remind you of, of this time. And then we'll have a litany of repentance together. We'll say that together. The session will lead us in that. And then we'll move to, to communion as a celebration of the feast. That Jesus says, hey, I'm, I don't, yeah, Laodicea, you, you messed up. There's some things you messed up. You, that you were, you were relying on yourself, not on me. But I'm ready to feast with you. You, you confess. Well, remember the story of the prodigal son. Let the party begin. Let, let's let's rejoice and have that time of that time of, of communion to really celebrate that Jesus is the victor, that Jesus is the conqueror, and in Him so too are we. All right, so let's let's take um, a moment here and just pull out, get a writing utensil. Michael, you want to come on up and get uh, folks ready to leave? Go ahead and uh, find what, uh, you're, uh, what you're going to uh, write on and, and take this time for yourself and as a, a church to, to r- just journal what you sense the Lord saying to you. Just as he spoke to Laodicea specifically, so he speaks to us specifically, so he speaks also to you.